0: We've all heard the idiom, what's in a name? That this idiom is used to show that the name isn't as important as the quality of the item which has the name. For example, we might say, My computer isn't a name brand, but it does everything that I need it to do. After all, what's in a name? What's in a name? And while names might not be as important to some of us, names are very important to God. Very important. Think about what God did with Abram's name. Abram, meaning high father. God changed his name to Abraham. meaning father of a multitude. God made a covenant with Abraham and his new name reflects that covenant that God made with him. Father of a multitude. Or how about Sarai? Sarai meaning my princess. Her name was changed to Sarah. Sarah meaning the mother of nations. Again, a new name that's given to her that reflects The covenant that God made with her husband Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant. How about Jacob? Jacob, meaning supplanter, God changed to Israel. Meaning having power with God. This was a nation that was chosen by God and led by God. We can see that names are very important to God. Names were very important to Jesus as well. Think about some of his disciples. How about Simon? Simon, whose name means God has heard, Jesus changed to Peter. Peter, meaning rock. Rock. Because of the statement that Peter made that, You are the Messiah. And upon that rock, that statement that Peter declared, Christ said he will build his church. So God changed Simon's name to Peter. Or Levi, meaning adjoining, was later called Matthew, meaning gift of the Lord. Jesus even had nicknames for his disciples. Nicknames for James and John called the Sons of Thunder. They were the Sons of Thunder. Or James, who was known as James the Less, was called James the Less either because he was younger than the other James, James who was one of the Sons of Thunder, or possibly because James the Less was smaller in stature. You also have Saul. Saul who was called Paul. Paul went by his Greek name because of what God had done in his life. But in any case, names are important. Names are very important to God. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see the name which is above all names. This is the name which God bestowed on Christ. It's the name which surpasses all other names. In fact, in Hebrews 1.4, it says this, Having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. He's above the angels. Greater than the angels. And he has a more excellent name than they do. And So, if you haven't opened your Bible already to Philippians 2, I would encourage you to open there and let me read our passage for us beginning in verse 9. Paul says this, For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now as we've been working our way through this passage. We began last Sunday. And we broke it down into four points. There's four points here that we're looking at. First the principle. Second the preeminence. Third the purpose. And then fourth the praise. And last Sunday we saw in verse 9. We saw the principle. And then we began to look at the preeminence. The preeminence. And we saw the preeminent position of Christ as God highly exalted Him. Christ, the resurrected Christ, ascended to the Father, and He sits now at the right hand of the Father. The exalted position, the preeminent position above all, as He sits at the right hand of the Father. Then we began to look at the preeminent name. The name which is above all other names. Now, let me just remind you that as we're looking at these great theological truths about Christ, his name which is above all other names, we can't forget the context here in which Paul is writing this. As we've studied this passage, we've seen how Christ humbled himself lower than any person could go And so God highly exalted him. He went to the lowest of lows, and then God put him the highest of highs. As he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what Paul is showing us here in verses 6 through 11. And Christ is the model for us of what it means to not only have an attitude of humility, but also to have the actions of humility. Christ had the attitude of humility and we saw that then lived out in his actions, in what he did. What did he do? He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. His actions proved the heart of humility that he had, the attitude of humility that he had. And because of his humility, God then highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Now, what is that name? You've all been waiting for this. Well, there are some that think that the name that is above every name is the name Jesus. The name Jesus. But, how can the name Jesus be the name that is above every name? Think about it. We have people throughout the ages who have been named Jesus. Jesus. In fact, Jesus was a popular name in the time of Jesus while he walked on the earth. In fact, the, the proper name Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua, meaning Yahweh saves. You have many people, even today, still named Jesus. They might go by Jesus. Jesus. And many even named Joshua. Joshua. We even read of a man named Jesus in Colossians 4.11. Jesus, who was called Justice. That was his name. His name was Jesus. He was called Justice. So did that guy, along with the other men named Joshua or Jesus, share the name that is above every name? No. Because Jesus is not the name that is above every name. Now I'm not saying that there's not a lot of power and meaning in the name of Jesus. Obviously there is. The name Jesus is very important to us. It's precious to us. But it's important to us because of who it represents. That's why it's so precious to us. Because of who it represents. And so As we read scriptures like Acts 4.11 which says, And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. We understand the importance of the name of Jesus because of who it represents. Or earlier, In Acts 3.6, Peter said to the lame beggar, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Walk. Now what did Peter mean by that? What did he mean by that? Could he just walk up to someone and say, Jesus, and all of a sudden they're healed? The the name above all other names, if it's Jesus, can you just walk up to somebody and say, Jesus, and you're healed. Many charismatics believe that. They believe that today. That all you have to do is say the name of Jesus. Just utter the name of Jesus. But as John MacArthur says, in the name of, in the name of, in Acts 3, 6 there, means by virtue of Christ's character, authority, and power. To do something in the name of Jesus Christ is to act consistent with His will. To do what He would do if He were here. To act in His authority and with His delegated power. And that's exactly what Peter did. When Peter says, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk, it's delegated power that has been given to him by Christ himself as an apostle who's been sent by Christ. And so it's it's not so much in just saying the name Jesus as if uttering the name of Jesus is all of a sudden going to make something happen. but it was that his delegated power and authority was given to Peter and allowed Peter then to heal the lame beggar. That's where the power is at. And the name which is above every name can't be Jesus because that would not be a name that God would bestow on him, right? Think about this. When Jesus ascends to the Father and he bestows upon him a name, if it is the name of Jesus, well, it can't be the name of Jesus. He can't bestow upon him the name of Jesus at that point of time. To bestow has the basic meaning of to give and to do so freely, like a grace gift, to do so freely. But God wouldn't bestow the name Jesus when He highly exalted Him because He already gave that name when He was on earth, right? Jesus already had the name Jesus. In fact, that's what Thor read for us this morning in Matthew 121. She will bear a son and you shall call His name what? Jesus. Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then what happened? Luke 2:21 tells us, and when 8 days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Who gave him that name? The father did through the angel. And then he was given that name, Jesus was given his name Jesus, by Joseph and Mary on the eighth day at his circumcision. And so in Philippians 2.9, God would not bestow upon him the name Jesus. Because that name was already given to him on the eighth day. He already had it. He can't bestow upon him a name that is above every name if he already has the name. So what's the name which is above every name? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But first, let's move on to our third point. Point number three, in which we call the purpose. The purpose. We saw our first point last time, the principle, and then the preeminence. Now we come to point number three, the purpose. And notice what it says in verse 10. Notice what Paul says there, Philippians 2 and verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now notice those two words at the beginning of verse 10, so that, so that. That's what we call there a purpose statement. It's a purpose statement. So that God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above all other names and then there is then expressed the outcome for this. It is so that. God has done this so that. Purpose. There's a purpose to all of this. And here in this this passage here, in these next two verses, there are two main purposes for which God's actions upon the Son happen. Why God does this. Two main purposes for God's actions upon his son. Notice first, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Now, we just said that Jesus is not the name bestowed upon Christ that is above every name, right? It's not it. But it says that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. So if Jesus is not the name above every name, then how will every knee bow at the name of Jesus? Notice in your Bible that every knee will bow is capitalized. Do you see that? It's in all caps. Why? Why have the translators put that there in all caps? Because this is a quote from the Old Testament. It's a quote from the Old Testament. In fact, what Paul is doing here is quoting Isaiah 45 and verse 23. In fact, turn over there with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 45. In Isaiah 45, this is such a great passage here, talking about God's supreme power, how God is the one true and only God and there is no other God. But in Isaiah 45 and verse 23, notice what it says there. It says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Now, who is speaking here? In Isaiah 45 in verse 23. Well look back up at verse 21. Notice what it says in verse 21. Right in the middle of verse 21. Who has long since declared it. Is it not I the Lord? Is it not I the Lord? The Lord is speaking here. Notice Lord there is in all caps. Why? That is the name of God. Yahweh. Yahweh. Anytime you see Lord in all caps, it's referring to the name of God, Yahweh. It's the name that God reveals to Moses in Exodus 3. I am. I am. That's God's name. Moses says, God, who should I tell them sent me. By what name have I been sent? Tell them, I am has sent you. Yahweh. God reveals his name. And so Yahweh is speaking, and notice in verse 23 of Isaiah 45, that he swears by himself. Notice that. He swears by himself. Why would he swear by himself? Well, because there is no one higher to swear by. He's above all. Think about that. When we swear by something, we always swear by something of greater authority than us, right? That's why in court, I don't know if they still do this, but you used to have to put your hand on the Bible. There's an understanding that you are swearing by a greater authority and therefore under a great authority. Who is that greater authority? It's God. That's why you put your hand on the Bible. To say, I'm under the greatest authority of all. There was at least a recognition that God was the highest authority in the land. He was above all. And so I'm going to swear by him, by the highest authority but God cannot swear by anyone greater than himself because he is the greatest. He's above all. But notice what he says at the end of verse 23 there. He says that to me, now who is the me? Yahweh. We just saw that up in verse 21. Is it not I, the Lord? Is it not I, Yahweh? That to me, Yahweh, every knee will bow. It is to Yahweh that every knee is going to bow. But I thought that it was to Jesus that every knee will bow. It is. It is. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. But notice what we conclude here from these passages. Paul is telling us, back in Philippians 2, that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And then Isaiah tells us that to Yahweh, every knee will bow. So who is it? Jesus or Yahweh? Answer? Yes. And what do we see here in this passage? as we look at at Paul telling us about the name of Jesus that every knee is going to bow to and, and that to Yahweh every knee is going to bow and Isaiah, what do we see here? We again see the divine nature of Jesus. That Jesus is God. Now, turn back to Philippians 2 and look again at verse 10. Notice what it says there. So that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus. Well, if you look at the Greek there, of this, this phrase, this sentence here, if you were to look at the Greek, the word at in the Greek is the word en, which we would translate as in in English. But the translators have translated it as at- Because Jesus is not the means by which we will worship the Father. Jesus is not the means. So it says that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. And they translate it that way and don't say so that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Because Jesus is not the means by which we will worship the Father. Jesus is the one in whom we will worship. Right? We bow the knee to him. He is the one in whom we will worship, the one we will bow the knee to. And it will be to the praise of the Father, right? It's exactly what it says at the end of verse 11 there. And so the translators have translated at it, that Greek word there, as at, because they don't want us to miss that it is Jesus whom we are going to be bowing the knee to. It is Him. One translation says it this way In honor of the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In honor of the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That is, the bowing of the knee and giving adoration to him is in the honor of the exalted Christ. And it is Christ who will be worshiped. We will bow the knee to him. But that phrase there, at the name of Jesus, can be misleading, as one commentator says, because it's not implying that someone will just hear the name of Jesus and bow down. You're not just going to hear the name of Jesus and, and fall down. Rather, it's the name which belongs to Jesus that is meant here. What is that name? The name which is above all other names? Well, we'll get to that name in a moment. But notice who Paul tells us is going to bow the knee there in verse 10. Notice what he says there. Of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. What does it mean? It simply means everyone. Everyone. Every created being everywhere is going to bow the knee. Paul says it is those in heaven, that is those in the heavenly realm, both angels and demons will bow the knee to Jesus. Those who are the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12. This is also here referring to believers who have departed and are with Christ. They're in heaven with Him now. Now. They're a part of this group as well. They will bow the knee. Then there are those who are on earth. That is all those who are living on the earth. That's what he means. They'll bow the knee. And then those who are under the earth. That is the dead unbelievers who are in hell awaiting their final judgment. And even those demons who are now bound until the day of their judgment, as Jude 6 tells us, there are demons who are bound right now under the earth. They will bow the knee to Jesus. But Paul's purpose here is not to divide this up into groups, but to show that every knee will bow to Christ and render him the honor that is due to him. Every knee. As one commentator says, there is a time coming when the sound of countless millions of knees will be heard as they hit the dust in humble submission to Christ. Some will bow willingly. Others will have their unyielding knees bent low under the awesome weight of the unveiled glory of God in Christ. Every knee will bow. And every knee will be brought low under the authority of Christ. And for us as believers, we can't wait for this time, right? (laughs) Isn't this what we've been preparing for? Uh, Think about in our personal worship time as we worship Him. Think about when we come and corporately worship together. What are we preparing for? The time when we will bow the knee and worship our Lord and Savior face to face That's what we're preparing for That's what we're all looking forward to, right? One day when we won't have to gather together at Charles Event Center, Charleston Event Center. But we will be face to face with our Messiah, with the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and we will bow our knees willingly in worship and praise and adoration to him giving all glory and all honor and all praise to Him. But it won't be this way for the unbelieving. For the unbelieving, they will be brought down low in submission to Christ unwillingly. They won't want to do it, but they will. They will bow the knee To Christ. And so God highly exalted Christ and bestowed on Him the name above every name for two purposes. First, so that every knee will bow. But second, notice in verse 11, so that every tongue will confess. So that every tongue will confess. In our translation in the NASB, it says, and that every tongue will confess and what we read there with that word that is is another purpose it's a second purpose statement so that every tongue will confess again there's the word every no one is left out every single person every single created being throughout all of history will confess everyone every single tongue will be united in the same confession. Now, remember back in verse 2 when Paul said, be of the same mind? Remember that? Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Paul tells us there that commands that for us as believers in the church. That is what we are to do as believers. We are to be of the same mind. Well, in the future, this is going to become true of all created beings. All created beings. The entire world of all created beings of all time will be united as one mind. And that unified mind will be expressed with the same voice. All confessing the same thing. And again, some will do it willingly. And many will do it unwillingly. Many are called, but few are chosen. But we will all do it. Everyone will confess the same thing. Now, if you remember back to Isaiah forty-five in verse twenty-three, what did it say? It said this to that uh, that to me, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. Every tongue will swear allegiance. While the translators did not capitalize every tongue will confess and the NASB here in Philippians 2, that is exactly what Paul is referring to here. They could have done a better job by capitalizing it there, because that's what Paul is referencing. He's going back to Isaiah 45:23. As he just says that every knee will bow, he's also saying, just as Isaiah 45 says, every tongue will confess. Just as Isaiah 45 says. Every single tongue will confess. And he's referring back to Yahweh in Isaiah 45 saying that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And what is every tongue going to confess? Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And we now come to see the name which is above every name. What is that name? It is Lord. Lord is the name that is above every name. In the Greek, it's the word kurios. Kurios. And what is interesting here that is not shown in our English translation is that the word kurios, Lord, actually comes before the name Jesus Christ in the Greek. And so the Greek in the Greek it reads this way. Every tongue will confess Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. And it's placed there in the Greek to place emphasis on it. That's why Paul put it where he put it there. He wants to emphasize Lord. What Paul has done here is he's continued to build up to this point, and then he places the emphasis right there on the name Lord. Because that is the name that is above every name it's Lord. Jesus is the proper name given to the Messiah, the Christ. But Lord is the name that is bestowed upon him by the Father. Jesus is his human name under which he embraced his humanity, his humility. And he became a man and he walked on the earth that he created with the name Jesus. And it was under this name that he went to a cross to die for the sins of all those who would believe in him. Under the name Jesus. Christ is not his last name. Christ points to his rightful office as God's anointed one. He is the one who fulfills all that God promised before his arrival. He's the anointed one that's referred to in the Old Testament. The Messiah who would come to save his people from their sins. But Lord unveils his supremacy as ruler over all and marks him out as truly divine. As one commentator says, the humble one, Jesus, is now the exalted one, Lord. Lord is the name that was bestowed upon him and is the name which is above all names. He is Lord of all. In fact, Jesus is Lord was the confession of the early church. That's what the early church confessed: Jesus is Lord. As one commentator says, with this call, the New Testament community submitted itself to its Lord, confessing Him as the ruler of the world. For God had raised Jesus from the dead and exalted Him to the position of universal Lord. He's Lord over all. And Lord is the name which is above every name. In fact, it is this name kurios, which is often used in the Septuagint, that is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, where the authors use the name of God, Yahweh. In fact, turn over with me to Isaiah 42. Let me show you where this is done in Isaiah 42 and verse 8. This here in Isaiah 42 is God's promise concerning his servant. His servant who is the Christ, the anointed one. The one who will come to save his people from their sins. And notice what he says in verse 8. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images. You see where it says Lord there in all caps? You see that? In the Hebrew that's the name Yahweh. That's Yahweh, the name of God, I am. But in the Septuagint it says this: Ego Kurias Ho Theos. Translated, I am the Lord God. Kurias. I am the Lord God. You see, the Jews had such a reverence for the name of God, for Yahweh, which is called the Tetragrammaton. Four letters there, Tetra. Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. They had such a reverence for this name that they wouldn't even say the name. They wouldn't say it. In fact, instead of speaking the name Yahweh, because it was the unutterable name or the unpronounceable name, they would often just say the name. You know, the name. But I have such reverence for the name, I'm not going to say the name. But you know who it is that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the name we see this in fact in 3rd John 7 where John says for they went out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles for the sake of the name what is John referring to there John is referring to Yahweh the name of God And Jews had such a reverence for the name of God that they wouldn't even utter it. It's too majestic. It's too great. It's too magnificent for a sinner like me to utter the name of God. And they wouldn't utter it. Yet this is the name that is given to Jesus. This is the name that's given to Jesus. As one commentator says, Here is the incarnate, crucified, now raised, glorified, enthroned Jesus, the Christ, rightful possessor of the unutterable name, Lord Yahweh. He's Lord. He's Lord of all. And for Paul to confess that Jesus is Lord is to confess That he is Yahweh. That's what Paul is doing. He is, I am. And that's exactly what we saw with Thomas as he confessed Christ as Lord and God when he said in John 20, 28, My Lord and my God. He has the name that is above all other names. And every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all. He is the God of the universe who has all power and all rule and all authority. He is Lord. That is his name. But you might ask, well, how could that be the name above all names if the Romans, during Jesus' time, confessed that Caesar is Lord? Well, confessing Caesar is Lord was giving him the title Lord. But notice, God doesn't give Jesus a title. He gave him what? The name. The name. It's who he is. He is Lord, and all will confess Him. Not just as Lord, but they will confess His name, Lord. The name which is above all other names. And even though all will confess His name, Lord, not all will be saved. Not all will be saved. In fact, it's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 7.21. Not everyone who says to me, what? Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Now listen to me because this is very, very important. There are many people who think that they are saved simply because they name the name of Jesus. They acknowledge that he was a good guy. They acknowledge he came to earth and lived a good life. They even acknowledge that he died and rose again. They'll acknowledge that. But listen, they don't live under the lordship of Christ. They haven't submitted their life to his lordship. And when Paul says in Romans 10:9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is exactly what Paul is referring to there. He is referring to the lordship of Christ. Not just uttering some words, but truly submitting yourself to the lordship of Christ. That Christ is Lord, He's master, He is ruler who has all authority. And making that confession is saying that He is the master and ruler of your life, and you will submit your life under His lordship. Just saying Jesus is Lord or I believe in Jesus is not what it means to be saved. It's not what it means to be saved. Those who are truly saved submit their lives under the authority of Christ. Under His Lordship. And listen, you don't make Him Lord. He already is Lord. God declared that and bestowed on Him that name, Lord. No one is making Him Lord God's already done that. What are we called to do? Submit to His Lordship. We must confess Him as Lord and live our lives under His supreme Lordship, which means we strive to do what He commands us to do, right? Of course, we won't do it perfectly. We're sinners. We understand that. That's why we need Jesus every day, right? but we strive to live under his lordship in submission to him and to his word that is what true truly saved believers do they submit to his lordship it's not just saying some words it's not just praying a prayer It is confessing Him as Lord and living under the Lordship of Christ. Declaring to everyone else that I am submitted to my Master. That He is the Lord of my life. And I will follow Him. A.W. Tozer comments on those who say that you can just believe in Jesus as Savior and not Lord. And he says this, What a tragedy that in our day we often hear the gospel appeal made in this way. Come to Jesus. You don't have to obey anyone. You don't have to give up anything. Just come to him and believe in him as Savior. Tozer says, the fact that we hear this everywhere does not make it right. To urge men and women to believe in a divided Christ is bad teaching. For no one can receive a half or a third or a quarter of a divine person of Christ. We are not saved by believing in an office nor in a work. You cannot say that he's Savior and not declare that he's Lord. You cannot divide Christ. In fact, MacArthur says he is Lord and those who refuse him as Lord cannot use him as Savior. You can't use him as Savior if you do not declare that he is Lord. Because we cannot divide Christ. He is Savior and Lord. And everyone who comes to Christ for salvation must submit to his lordship, to his rule, to his authority. Everyone. That's what a truly saved person does. Right? We submit to his lordship. His name is Lord and he's Lord over all. And the Father has bestowed this name upon him, which is the name that is above all names. And what is the intended goal of this? Well, this leads to our final point. Point number four. Back in Philippians 2, I'd encourage you to turn back there. Philippians 2, our final point here is the praise. The praise. Look at the end of verse 11 to the glory of God the Father. One commentator said, so we come to the end of this passage, this hymn, and when we come to its end, we come back to its beginning. The day will come when men will call Jesus Lord, but they will do so to the glory of God the Father. We started in heaven back in verse 6, right? That's where we started, back in verse 6. Who, although he existed in the form of God. We started in heaven. In eternity past. Existing in the form of God. And then we end this hymn here, right back in heaven. Giving all glory to God the Father. All that Jesus has done and all that the Father has done in rightly honoring Christ and giving Him the preeminent position and the preeminent name and all that will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, all of this is done for the ultimate purpose of bringing praise and glory to God the Father. You see, the Father is exalted by what the Son has accomplished in His humility. And what are we called to do? Worship the Son. To worship the Son. To worship Christ. And when the Son is worshipped, the Father is glorified. It all culminates... With the glory of God. And it's amazing that when you read the book of praise and worship in the Old Testament, the Psalms, the Psalms end with this final verse in Psalm 150 and verse 6 Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In closing, we cannot forget the context of this magnificent Christ hymn. We can't forget it. We see here what the final result is of Christ who humbled himself. What is the result? The end of verse 11. The glory of God the Father. It's all to the glory of God the Father. And that is how we are to live our lives as we obey the commands given to us in verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. This was the attitude that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, had. And this is to be our attitude as well. May we humble ourselves and go low and do it all to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at your word. We are amazed at your Son, in whom you highly exalted. And bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. Father, may we live lives of worship and praise and adoration to him. The highly exalted one who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross so that we could be saved from our sins. We thank You for His Lordship, that He is ruler over all, that He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and there is no one greater. Father, I pray that if anyone is here this morning that does not know You, that has not been redeemed, that has not been saved from an eternity of hell separated from You. Father, I pray that You would save them. That they would bend the knee now and confess that Jesus is Lord. That they would repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ alone that they would submit their lives to the Lordship of Christ. Father, for those of us who are saved, help us to continue to remember these great truths that we would live our lives submitted to the Lordship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that we would do all to bring glory and honor and praise to you, our God and our Father. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, our Master and King, Jesus Christ. Amen.